If you haven't heard by now, Underdog Fantasy is the best and easiest place to play fantasy football this summer. And we've been there in fantasy football leagues. It's Sunday morning and you're digging through news reports, trying to figure out whether to start your stud wide receiver that tweaked his hamstring, or you have only one player on your team getting into the end zone. And then one week, he suddenly goes off for 30 points on your bench. With Underdog Fantasy, all the stress of who to start each week is lifted off of your shoulders because it's best ball format. Draft your teams before the season starts and get the best score for your lineup each week. That's right. You can draft in Underdog's Best Ball Mania 3 tournament to take your shot at a million dollars in total prizes. Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with promo code PFF. Also, if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. Underdog drafts start close before NFL kickoff. So what are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store. Play $10 with code PFF and draft your, draft your best ball mania team today. Welcome, everyone. I am back off of the extremely temporary IR here. Uh, down with, went down with COVID last week. For those of you who listened to the Monday show a week ago, you're going to be familiar with the fact that I mentioned that my family was all going down, dropping like flies all around me. And during that exact podcast, I was feeling a little bit out of it. I had some deep-seated congestion, but nothing that severe. And then later that night, I got hit with some chills, a little fever, not too bad. Uh, Peaced out very, very early on Monday night. And then Tuesday, you know, just didn't feel great most of the day, but... Nothing catastrophic. Again, went to sleep extremely early after feeling some chills in the evening. And then Tuesday night, I just kind of sweated it off, sweated it off. I don't know if you guys have ever had that same phenomenon when it comes to um, getting rid of a fever, but just kind of sweated the whole thing off Tuesday night. Wednesday, woke up still a little bit tired because I hadn't been sleeping great. I don't sleep great when I have a, a little bit of a fever or something like that. But by the time I got to Wednesday night, I felt fine. You know, I felt good Um, other than the fact that from Wednesday and Thursday and even through Friday, it would have been very, very difficult for me to project like this, especially in a solo podcast format and not be hitting the cough button every 30 seconds or so uh, as need be. So I feel much better now. So now I'm back. And again, I know everyone's. COVID experience probably differs quite a bit from others. But for me, it was basically incrementally worse than when I got the booster shot. And that was, I don't know, that was several months ago. Um, incrementally worse than even getting the second dose of the vaccine. It wasn't wasn't too bad for me. It wasn't too bad for anyone in the family. But, you know, I'm still testing, though. If I, if I take those uh, at-home tests, 
I am still testing bright red, despite the fact that the first time I tested positive was a week ago. So if you're following those CDC guidelines, which I think now are, you know, quarantine for five days and then you're cool, basically, um, to do what you want. If you're following those guidelines, you definitely still be tested positive while you're going out there into the world. Um, luckily for me, or luckily I should say for the world, I don't really go out into the world that much. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm this uh, watching preseason football uh, inside of my house. I'm uh, doing fantasy football rankings. I'm working from home here in my dungeon. Uh, no worry. No worries about me reintegrating back into the world. I mean, maybe going to the gym. I'll see if I can go back later this week. But I'm trying to be a little con- on the conservative side as far as that's concerned. Since, like I said, I still am testing pretty bright red on the at-home tests uh, for, for the COVID. But I'm back off of the IR and I am here to break down the most important week of preseason football in the history of the NFL. Okay. That's a lie. It's uh week three preseason has become, I don't know. It's kind of a combination depending upon the team, like the old, now remember preseason is part of the, um, the new collective bargaining agreement they get, you know, they got the 17th game in the season. They got rid of a preseason game. There used to be four preseason games. The fourth game was just a throwaway game that no one really cared about. You never saw starters in there. The third game used to be what they called the dress rehearsal, especially in the first half of the third game. Now it's mix or match. Some of these games we're going to talk about. I'm going to go into some more details because we do have some starters playing. We do have some actual implications from what happened during the week. Others we don't. But for a subset of those that we do not have starters playing this week, we do have interesting backups playing, mostly quarterback backups playing when it comes to players like, you know, a Desmond Ritter, let's say Um, someone like that who ended up playing. And we'll want to talk about their performance, what it means going into the regular season. I mean, I don't think these preseason performances should mean so much, but clearly it's the one thing we get a view into versus what we're just hearing about in practice. And it does seem to matter to these coaches. They probably overvalue to some degree the under the lights pressure performances from especially these quarterbacks, these young quarterbacks as to their readiness to get into the regular season. So we'll keep that in mind when we're building our mental timelines here on when we might see a Desmond Ritter this season, when we might see a Kenny Pickett this season, when we might even see a Sam Howell this season. And, you know, I I have a semi-hot take coming on that one uh, for how early we might see him this year because I've been impressed with what he's been doing this year. But before we get to all the preseason action, I'm going to go game by game in this one. Like I said, some of them will be skipped over pretty quickly. So this will be more of a similar format to what I do during the regular season, going through every game. I'm not going to break down all the different numbers as I do during the regular season. You guys will, you know, those who are familiar with the podcast are familiar with all of my different adjusted scores, other things. We'll get into that in the next couple of weeks once we actually go forward in the podcast. But before we get into that, it feels like it's been a millennium since I've talked to everyone here. And there, of course, has been some news over the last week. So let's get into the news of the NFL. But I went back to work, got up on Monday morning, and there it was. Glory hole. All right. Jarrah, Jarrah Jones in the in the news again. For those who may have missed it, he made an appearance on first take on ESPN. 
a lot of different things to say there. A great uh, glory hole reference there for for Jerry Jones. You know what's funny about this particular uh, glory hole take here? I'm not sure how many times I'm allowed to say glory hole on this podcast before we get um, hit with an explicit mark on here. But this actually isn't the first isn't isn't ain't the first rodeo ain't the first glory hole rodeo that Jerry Jones has had. Um, believe it or not, because this was actually a, a slight improvement on his last glory hole reference that I can find here. And that is from 10 years ago, Oxnard, California, the Cowboys have their annual training camp. And 10 years ago in 2012, Jones was talking about veterans like Tony Romo and tight end Jason Witten, who hadn't had much success in the postseason unlike their counterparts in the 1990s, a lot of success there. And this is, I'm going to, I'm going to quote Jones here. Um, He said, he says, I've been here when it was glory hole days and I've been here when it wasn't. Having said that, I want me some glory hole. (laughs) That was his, that was his quote uh, 10 years ago. So he's improving on there. And for those who want to, you know, Google this one to figure out what he's talking about. It's something about, you know, digging in the, you know, uh, drilling in the sea and there's some hole you put in there to deflect the currents and that's the glory hole and this and that. But, you know, anyway, uh, c- keep your kids away from the, uh, the Google though. When you, when you go on there, do not use a, do not use your company computer. Okay. This is definitely uh NSFW type of stuff that we're talking about here. Uh, but the larger picture for the Cowboys, the reason I want to talk about them is the Tyron Smith injury. And that's not something that floated under the radar, but somewhat floated under the radar versus everyone wanting to laugh about the uh, uh, Jerry, Jerry Jones and his glory holes. And so Smith suffered what is technically called, obviously all world left tackle Tyron Smith. I don't have to explain everything. Future Hall of Famer there. Um, he suffered what is called technically an avulsion, avulsion fracture in his knee, which involves the hamstring tearing off of the bone. Sounds painful. Sure, it was painful. Smith will be 32 years old in December. He has missed 20 games over the last two seasons. This could be more than just a lingering issue. This is something where he could miss a significant amount of time, and then we'll see when he comes back. And the reason that it's so important here is a couple of different things. First, I had talked before about the fragility of the Cowboys receivers with Amari Cooper gone and the fact that Michael Gallup almost laughed off the suggestion that he would be back in week one. I think he's avoided PUP, so that's good. But still, he's probably not going to be playing week one at at the very least there. And now Jalen Tolbert, I'll talk about him a little bit more when we go through the game by games of the of the week. But he doesn't seem like he's necessarily bursting into a top spot here and will be heavily used here in his first season. So you have Tolbert, question mark, Gallup. We don't know when he's going to return, what he's going to look like when he's going to return. Cooper's gone. Now Tyron Smith is out. And of course, on the offensive line earlier in the offseason. Connor Williams left in free agency. They cut Leal Collins, another tackle who ended up going up to the Bengals. So this is looking more and more dicey for the Cowboys, to say the least, especially with everyone getting pretty hyped up. And if you listen to 
my podcast with professional better Rob Pozzola a couple of weeks ago. He is very hyped up about the Eagles chances this year. So what I what I wanted to do is say, okay, how big of a deal is Tyron Smith? Well, first, let me bring up, I calculated out some on-off numbers. Now, on-off numbers and can be deceiving, to say the least. So I looked at every season since 2016, and I said, let's look, because that's when Dak's been there, since 2016. Let's look at when he was on the field and when he was off the field. What was Dak's expected points added per drop back? So that's how many points on average he is adding versus what you'd expect based upon field position, score differential, uh, down distance, all that, all that crap. Um, what you would expect from him when Smith has been on and off the field. And Smith has given us a robust sample for on off in a bunch of different seasons because the dude is off the field a lot. Um, especially when we're talking about what happened in, in some different years. So anyway, the, the, the key I think here though, when we're looking at it and Dak didn't play a lot in 2020, so you don't get a big sample, even though Smith missed a lot of time in 2020, but the key is going back to 2017, remember Dak had this outstanding rookie year and then he fell off a bit in 2017. And back then, back in our naive days for the media, Maybe not. Maybe Jerry Jones is still in this this mentality, as I'll talk about in a second. But there was this thought that Zeke got injured, and that's why Dak's numbers fell in 2017. But then the nerds, like myself, probably even overhyped the fact that Tyron Smith went down, and that was the reason that Dak's numbers went down. If you look at that 2017 season, Dak wasn't even great with Smith there. He was a little bit above average. He was a positive .06 expected points added per drop back, but he was awful when Smith wasn't there. He was losing about a quarter of a point every single time that he went back in 2017. But if you look at the rest of the seasons, it's actually a little bit better when Smith was off the field in 2018, about equal in 2019, 2020, a little bit better, 2021, about equal. So there isn't consistency in those types of numbers, but we know Smith is good. We know he's a valuable player. So if we look even further into Smith's value, there were some numbers that I did where I tried to look at grading and then look at historical comparable clusters of players to get an idea of their worth on off the field based upon their grading. And this gives you a kind of a more robust number than looking at one individual player when he's been on and off the field. And when I looked at uh, offensive tackles, Smith was hugely important in 2021 based upon his numbers because his grading was so good. I mean, his grading was a 91.4 overall. It was his best season since 2015 for Smith, 88 in pass blocking, 91.5 in run blocking. And he didn't have as much value in total added as Trent Williams, who played more games because Smith missed some time. But on a per-game basis, his value add was about three points per game. Now, we wouldn't project that going forward because we wouldn't project Tyron Smith to be a 90 plus grading player going forward, but he was extremely important to this team that struggled a bit last year, the Cowboys. Tyron Smith was very important to them and his number, in fact, for any offensive player was the second highest non-quarterback number to Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup had the highest per game number at 3.3 points per game. And if you flip over to the defensive side, on a per game basis, the highest guys were uh, who were only who were slightly higher than Tyron Smith were um, Aaron Donald, shocker, 
Uh, Micah Parsons got in there because he did so much last year. And then TJ Watt, just because he got so many sacks, whether you want to give him all the credit for those sacks or not, you know, he did put up those numbers. He did make those sacks. So those are the three guys. So other than that, Tyron Smith played like a top five non quarterback last season. So if he's out here, it just really adds another layer to the fragility problem that I talked about for this team, the Cowboys. And it's definitely something to keep, to keep your eye on, especially it's something to keep your eye on. If Jerry Jones continues to live back in, I guess, 2012, Adrian Peterson won the MVP, but more like live back in the 1970s with how he sees the run and pass game working together. And this clip circulated quite a bit here and what he had to say about how the Cowboys go you know, win or lose based upon what happens with Ezekiel Elliott in the backfield. He's in the best shape he's ever been in. Now, it is still a fact. We go as Zeke goes. I know it's a lot on Dak's shoulders, but we go as Zeke goes. He's very capable of being everything we've ever wanted to be. The wild card, though, is the guy that's playing beside him, Pollard. And so we put Pollard in some plans that with Zeke for the defenses to have to work against midweek and be ready to play. Then you've got Pollard. We really like where we are running back. But it all starts and stops with Zeke. Okay, it all starts and stops with Zeke. Again, we're, we're getting back to 2017 talk here where people thought that that was, that was happening there. I think we might be over attributing how much Jerry Jones can really reach down onto the field and affect what's going to happen here. But we're going to get some healthy doses of Zeke. And without an offensive line, we know how important it is, how dependent running back efficiency is on offensive line. It could be quite a struggle for the Cowboys this year if they lean further and further into that, despite not having much depth there up front. So good good luck, Cowboys fans. Um, I think it's still going to be okay this year because I'm a Dak believer, but things could be a lot rougher rougher than what they were so far. All right, and other news, and much more sobering other news, uh, let's go to what was going on playing out in Buffalo. But at this time, we just think it's the best move for everyone to move on from Matt and let him take care of this situation and focus you know, on, on, on that. And so we're going to part ways there. Okay, so that was General Manager Brandon Bean addressing the Matt Ariza situation, accusation, uh, lawsuit, which has now come to being a huge, maybe the biggest news item for the NFL. And they have cut ties with Matt after sitting him, Sean McDermott making the decision to sit him for their preseason game and they didn't have another punter. So they had Matt Barkley out there kicking punts, actually doing a pretty decent job, quite honestly at it uh, during the preseason game. So this is, and as Bean made a point of saying the sensitivity of the subject matter, everything else that goes into it. I, you know, echo all of those different sentiments at the same time. I think we want to look at this from the Buffalo bills perspective um, how I'm going to view this whole situation that, that we're talking about here. I think this is the lens that, that you can view this, this thing with Ariza and with the bills and, you know, these muddy situations, what happened, what didn't happen, gathering facts, doing all these other things here. Listen, I'm going to, I'm going to steal from paraphrase 
the great, uh, the answer, the great Allen Iverson saying here, the same, we talking about a punter here. Okay. We are talking about a punter, a punter. That's the frame that they needed to have from day one on this in late July, at the very least, when they got a phone call from the Jane Doe, from the plaintiff's attorney, telling them, detailing more of the accusation, what was going to be part of the lawsuit. Again, continuing to stick by him, saying we're gathering information, we, you know, cutting the punt, cutting another punter, making him the only person on the team, everything else that was going on here, they needed to have in their mind, we're talking about a punter here. This is, the Bills are the Super Bowl favorites this season. This is probably the best spot that the organization and its fans have been in for decades. And now you're dealing with this issue for a punter, for a six-round pick punter. That's what doesn't make any sense to me. And all this stuff, when Bean's talking in this press conference, he says, is, you know, it's a hard decision. They did the best they could with their resources, trying to figure out what could be the truth was. Uh, we're trying to be thoughtful and not rush to judgment. You can rush to judgment. It's okay. You know, this is football we're talking about. You are a general manager for a football team. You are not, um, and he says later on, you know, we're not judge and jury. That's right. You're not judge and jury. So just go ahead and cut ties and let the thing sort itself out. Whatever you think of the situation, if Ariza is not criminally charged, if he gets through the lawsuit, again, this is not something that's going to be subject to NFL discipline because it happened before he got into the NFL. If all that goes through, someone may be willing, probably very much will be willing if things turn out positive in his manner to give him a shot down the road. You know, he'll survive. His career will survive. But it's just not the timing now. And it's not the team. And it's not the position and the importance for the Bills to get themselves in this, quite honestly, in this clusterfuck that's going on over there with what's happening with everything in the news and everything else there. Why put yourself as, as part of that? You know, with acknowledging everything that's going on, it's not that you're not acknowledging the sensitivity of what's going on. It's not that you're not acknowledging the fact that there's a victim in here and everything else. It's not that you're even reacting to someone else's demands. It's just you're making a pretty easy decision for all parties involved to move on. And that should have been done much, much earlier for, for the Bills. Again, we are talking about a punter. What is going on here with the Bills? I don't know. Um they're going to bring in some more guys and they should be fine going forward. But this is definitely hinting a little bit more at this, you know, not that I have a lack of confidence or no confidence in, in Brandon Bean and what they're doing there. But this is definitely one that they did not need to stub their toe on and could have just been able to, to move forward a lot more easily once they found out this information, just to cut and move on and move on to the next thing and then not have to put the, everyone through all of this uh this poor news cycle that's going on here not have to insert yourself as part of this um get the label of enabler and everything else that's going on here you don't have you, you don't ha you don't have to be a due process organization as part of the nfl 
you do what's right for you, you do what's right for your team, and you move on in a situation like this much earlier than you did so. Okay, before we get into the preseason, and again, I will go through every single preseason game here. I know you guys are chomping at the bit for that preseason info, but before we get there, let me tell you about one of the pod sponsors in Manscaped. Gentlemen all strive for gold in their life, right? Gold medals, gold watches, gold everything. However, there's a certain type of man who goes the extra mile. He walks with the confidence of an eagle and giggles in the face of danger. He is a big, hairless, winning machine. And when he unzips his pants, he sees platinum. That's right. Manscaped would like to introduce you to their best and biggest ultimate hygiene bundle yet, the Platinum Package 4.0. Manscaped is a leader in below-the-waist grooming. Now trust them with the whole shebang. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with code PFF. Manscaped's brand-new Platinum Package 4.0 is the biggest bundle they've ever offered, giving you a bulk discount on Manscaped's top products. Get 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping. Manscaped.com, use code PFF. It's time to you enjoy the finer things in life and get yourself a platinum package for your platinum package. All right, let's start with Thursday. Let's start with the Thursday games here. Um, we'll start with Green Bay, Kansas City. Kansas City pulls this one out 17 to 10. Not that we really care about the scoring in these games here, but first off, I'll just throw out an RIP to Super Bowl three. I'm sorry, Super Bowl IV uh, champion and MVP, Len Dawson, who passed away over the last week, celebrated at the game. Uh, Dawson was number 16 on my statistical QB GOAT series that I did over the summer where I found the career value and peak value and blended those together also with the playoffs for all the different quarterbacks based in their uh, value above an average type of play. Dawson was pretty far up there, number 16 on the list there. And what's interesting about Dawson, and I mentioned this in more detail, if you want to go back to the pod where I detail uh, numbers 11 through 20 for the statistical goat there. What's interesting about Dawson is he could have been completely forgotten as a player. And he's probably a good example if you want to talk about careers turning around later. You don't see that much anymore. I guess Steve Young would be one of the later examples of someone really flaming out early and then coming back in their career. But Dawson, he was the fifth overall pick in the 1957 draft. One pick in front of Jim Brown going to the Browns. And in three years with the Steelers to start his career, he was six of 17 for 96 yards, one touchdown and two interceptions. That was it for three years in his career. And then he was traded to the Cleveland Browns. He didn't do much better. Had a little over 100 passing yards in two seasons there before going to the Chiefs in the AFL where he was reborn and put up some huge numbers there. Maybe some of those numbers should be dis discounted for the fact that the AFL was a little bit easier of a league at that point. But still, huge, huge numbers there. And then eventually coming back and winning the Super Bowl and uh, AFL champion three times before that Super Bowl victory. Okay, it was an ignominious end to Jordan Love's preseason, flipping over to what happened in the game here. I mean, Patrick Mahomes didn't play. It's not a ton to talk about on the Kansas City side of things. Jordan Love has gotten an extensive look here during the preseason. He graded at 48 for this game. He had an interception. He had another dropped pick, 148 yards passing, 5.7 yards per attempt. And for Love... 
And it's weird how often this is happening, how little I feel like I'm being surprised by what's happening in the preseason here. For Love, I think you're seeing everything from him that got you excited about him as a prospect because you said, if we can take this portion of his game, some of the you know quick release throws, some of the downfield stuff, some of the running and the athleticism that he shows, if we can get all of that good stuff. And then we can get out the head-scratching turnover-worthy plays that he would do from time to time, the inaccuracy issues that he had a lot of the time there. If we could get rid of some of that stuff, then we'd have quite a good player. And you saw, unfortunately, the fact that the ups and downs are just not stopping for Jordan Love. You look at these three games that he played. He had a 58 grade in the first game against the 49ers, 83.4 in the second game against the Saints. And I think people got excited again and say, hey, Jordan Love's doing something. Maybe we got something going on here. Then he comes back with his worst performance of the preseason, at least from our grading perspective, with the 46.5 in his last game, ending the season with a 63.7 grade, ending the season with three touchdowns and four interceptions. Again, you had the big-time throws. You got five big-time throws here, which is a really good percentage. But then you also have the turnover-worthy plays. He did have a lot of drops, so that's something that would be – more so in his favor, nine drops. So his adjusted completion percentage, his completion percentage jumps up from 53 up to 66 when you adjust for those drops. But still, 5.8 yards per attempt against a lot of second, you know, second, third team type of defenses. I don't know. I mean, the clock's running out a little bit on what's going to go on with Jordan Love here. And yeah, ideally, he'd be someone you could turn it over to after having been the 2020 draft selection, entering his third year here. Um, maybe they'll look to draft someone else next year and then move him if they can. I'm not sure. Rodgers will probably be around through the end of 2023 at the very least, which will run out the clock on Love's contract. And at that point, maybe you can have a rebirth somewhere else, but it's really getting harder and harder, at least for me, to, to, to see it at this, at this point. Uh, okay, let's go on to the next Thursday game, the only other Thursday game. The 49ers versus the Houston Texans. We got Trey Lance in this game, and we got my man Davis Mills in this game, although Mills has been eh, he has been so great, I would say, in the preseason so far. Um, but Lance was more of the issue here. I mean, the Niners didn't score in this game. And what we're seeing from Lance so far this preseason, it's not analogous to Jordan Love because you don't have – the really bad plays when it comes to turnover worthiness of the plays. But the best way I can describe how Lance has played, and I think how he played last season and how he'll play even in the course of a single game is chunky. He has chunks, big chunk plays is how he's going to need to score. We saw it in week one where he had a you know 50 something yard touchdown. We saw it Last year in the game against the Texans, where the final score you look at and you say, oh, the 49ers won by multiple touchdowns. That looks pretty good. You look at Trey Lance's final numbers in that um, Texans game, not his grading, but his final numbers. You say, oh, they look pretty good, but they had zero points or maybe it was three points through three quarters of that game or midway through the third quarter and then piled it on on the end. I think that's what you're going to see. And it's going to be much, much different than the old 49er offense with Jimmy Garoppolo, where they're operating in the middle of the field. They're operating with short passes, which are then being taken into longer uh, yards after catch. 
it's kind of matriculating the ball down the field as opposed to Lance here. There's going to be a strong rushing component, which can help give some stability and some floor to that offense. But there are going to be halves, maybe even entire games where that offense is going to disappear. Now, the 49ers defense is looking like it could be the best defense in the NFL by a lot of uh, metrics going into the season. So he's going to have a floor there, but he's going to have games like he did last time. This is a 47.5 grade here in this Texans game, seven of 11, but he was just not getting the ball, able to get the ball down the field. He was sacked twice and scrambled once in only 14 dropbacks, facing pressure, not being able to make the quick decisions in the same sort of way. A lot has been talked about his windup. I mean, I noticed that pre NFL and I'm surprised it wasn't talk about a little bit more there, but he's just not going to be able to execute that quick game in the same way as Garoppolo did. So we've had a lot of focus on what Lance can bring to the offense here. Maybe not enough focus on what they lose bringing Lance in here. And that could be a bit more consistency and stability, especially on picking up third and medium type of plays where it could be a little bit harder for him rather than he's going to be giving those explosive plays on first and second down that you were not getting with Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, Damian Pierce, what can we say about Damian Pierce? I've been talking about him for a few weeks now after resting last week as the presumed starter. He goes six attempts, 37 yards, and a touchdown on that first drive, an 84.6 grade. One of the best, I think the best college-graded player coming out. You know, fancy footballers. He's going to probably be a... I don't know, sixth, seventh round pick, something like that in some fantasy football drafts. And that might not be early enough, quite honest. Um, Most deceiving box score is another guy that I talked about who I'm pretty high on as a potential breakout here. And that's Nico Collins. And this is in a good way for Collins, his deceiving box score. Officially, he only had one target, zero receptions, if you look at his official, official box score. But he had two DPIs that he drew for a combined 31 yards. One of them down the sideline, one of them in the end zone, which led to the one-yard touchdown run from Damian Pierce. Uh, Plus, he had a six-yard touchdown that was nullified by an offensive penalty. It was a pick play. So Collins still playing all the time with Davis Mills. I know that Cooks isn't playing, but Collins is in there all the time with Davis Mills. I'm expecting uh, big things from Nico Collins this year. Let's get to Friday. Carolina and the Buffalo Bills. Baker starts the game and is declared, has already been declared the starter. Darnold was injured during this game. High ankle sprain, going to be out for several weeks. Matt Corral, RIP, already is out for basically, I don't know, most of the season because of the fact that he has a Liz Frank injury there. So PJ Walker looks like he's going to open up the season as the primary backup to Baker. So Baker was good. I wouldn't say he was elite in this sort of game. He shows a lot of the good and the bad of Baker. He's accurate. He can fit the ball into very, very tight windows, but at the same time, some of them are a little too tight and there's no need to do it. Some of the drifting around the pocket, he's also doing a little bit here, but what's good for him and this Carolina team is with Iki Kwanu coming in with all the different signings that they had and the revamped offensive line, I don't think he's going to be in an awful situation as far as facing pressure. And he's going to need some of that there. Um, in this particular game, he was nine of 15. There were three drops though. So he could have been quite a better number there. 89 yards, couple of touchdowns, 70.5 grade Baker, the starter, something we should have known with about 95% certainty before the season even started. Now it is officially there. Uh, one other thing to watch out for is Shai Smith 
as potentially the every down slot receiver for the Panthers this year. He's a 2021 sixth round pick out of South Carolina. He played in the slot a lot during the preseason. He's graded pretty well. He had a touchdown in this game. I liked him a lot coming out. He comped to someone like a Jamison Crowder, a little bit better than a Jamison Crowder. He also comped to Antonio Brown, but you know, we're not, you know, no, we're not saying anyone's going to be Antonio Brown since Antonio Brown was a later pick in the NFL draft. Doesn't mean these later guys can uh, jump out and be a hall of fame type of player like that. But at the very least, he was a very productive player. So to see him emerge here, I, lo- I love seeing that. It looks like Terrace Marshall and other guys are way further down on the depth chart. So therefore, Shai Smith could probably come in here and, and maybe be a reliable guy in the slot. I mean, Baker definitely liked to target Jarvis Landry when he was in Cleveland. All right, let's get to Seattle, Dallas. Not a whole lot here. Of course, Dak hasn't played the entire preseason. Geno Smith is named the starter and he ends the preseason. Let me get the numbers here. Because I believe he ended the preseason with the top passing grade for anyone in the NFL. Uh, Of course, you know, the preseason king is not exactly something to talk about. Let's say minimum 20. So if you say a minimum of 10 dropbacks, Marcus Mariota is actually first with a 90.9 grade. Geno Smith is second. But if you, you know, if you, if you had that threshold higher, 20, 25 dropbacks, Geno Smith is first with an 88.1 passing grade during the preseason. I would say there's a very good to almost certain chance that Drew Locke will probably make a start eventually. I mean, it's going to be a bad team. They're going to lose games. Geno Smith is Geno Smith. He's going to do some Geno things eventually. Um, but he's not the worst option for them going forward. And, you know, Dallas, I went over a lot of their problems earlier when I was discussing, uh, you know, Jerry Jones and Tyron Smith and everything going on there. We'll we'll, we'll see what we end up seeing, but we're just not going to get a lot from them in the preseason without the fact that Dak's never really getting into the game. Okay, let's talk Chargers, Saints. Again, Chargers don't really play their starters there. I talked about Josh Palmer as being the one guy you're really seeing something from about their backups that you could be interested in this season for the Chargers. For the state for the Saints, Jameis plays his first game. I'm I'm pretty excited about Jameis. Ain't gonna lie. I've been a Jameis backer for a while. It's getting a little crowded on the Jameis train. I was definitely not someone who wanted to replace Hall of Fame, you know, maybe top 15 quarterback of all time, Drew Brees with Jameis near the end there as some other. Jameis aficionados were saying, but I was much, much higher than him when the Bucks were basically tossing him away at that point. He was four of four in this game. He looked good, but what could be an issue for this team is there were seven running plays, four passing plays. You know, let's, let's let Jameis cook a little bit here. Um, I know he's going to do some stupid things sometimes, but you got to let Jameis cook, especially when you're a team that's on the margins of being able to get in. I think they may try to sneak in through running game and defense, but I want Jameis to be able to cook a little bit here with Chris Olave and hopefully Michael Thomas's hamstring injury is solved and Jarvis Landry is getting into the action in this one. They could be cooking. They could be cooking this year on offense, and I'm excited about what Jameis is going to do. Okay. The Patriots and the Vegas, still getting used to say that, Raiders. Okay, what's our level of concern on the Patriots offense? I feel like this has been a reoccurring theme that I've talked about now for every week slash training camp. What's going on here? 
Um, let's talk Mac Jones first. He played four drives in this game. They went three and out interception to end the second drive, three and out again, and then a field goal on the fourth drive. So they were able to get on the board there, but Jones has finished the preseason now with a 50.4 grade after grading in the seventies as the best by far the best rookie quarterback last year. He finishes 64th of 71 different quarterbacks who had at least 25 preseason dropbacks as far as his grading is concerned. Mm, I'm still going to put my level of worry below a five on this one. I know no McDaniels. I know they haven't looked good, but they didn't have many weapons last year. I like the running game that they're going to have here. We'll see if the offensive line comes together or not, but we're still talking about a total of 27 dropbacks for Mac Jones. We're talking about three quarters of a game's worth, maybe a little bit more dropbacks for Mac Jones so far during the entire preseason as they're integrating everything that they're doing here for a Patriots team that notoriously starts slow, even during the regular season. So for all of these reasons, I'm not, again, I'm about a three for my worry scale for the Patriots offense. And if anyone is selling them greatly, I would be buying them a little bit on, on that discount and not getting too worried at this point. But I will say things don't get great. You know, things don't look great there. So if you want to jump off, you want to get one foot off of the Patriots train and ready to make that jump, maybe, you know, get some, get some pads on, um, be ready to, to roll, practice your tumbles from when you jump off of the Patriots train. I'm not blaming you for that. I'm just not quite ready to do that at this point. All right, before we get into the Saturday and Sunday action, let me tell you about another sponsor of the pod, DraftKings. Get ready for NFL Week 1 action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Bet just $5, one, two, three, four, five, and get $200 in free bets instantly. And now everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. You get seven, you win. Bet on any NFL team of your choice. And if your team leads by seven points at any point during the game, you get paid instantly. Even if your team loses, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code PFF only at DraftKings Sportsbook, 21 and over in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for terms and resources. Gambling problem called 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text Tennessee Redline at 1-800-889-9789. In New York, call 1-877-HOPE, oh sorry, 8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. One per new customer, minimum $5 deposit and wager, $200 issued as eight twenty-five free bets. Oof. Okay, got through that. I will say one thing on this. If your team leads by seven points at any point during the game, this promotion they got going on there, I do some research on teams that are like to field, teams that like to defer. You want, you want to get that ball first if you want to be up by seven at any point. Uh, I think that's good. Try to lock that in in the first half if you can, not just – you know, or, or just bet on the team that's favored by the most. But, you know, combine those two things together. I think it could help you out winning on that promotion. Okay, Saturday. 
I, you know, I like the spaced out NFL preseason versus the everything happening on Sunday. I don't know about you guys. It helps me digest this stuff a lot easier, especially in preparing for this podcast. Okay. Ritter's a story here in Jacksonville versus the Atlanta Falcons. And unless you're interested in how EJ Perry did for the, uh, the, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, because the Jags, they, they held out 27 different players in this game. So most of the starters, key backups, RIP for LaVisca Chenault, because he was not, he was not held out. Um, and four, you know, five, four wide receivers didn't play. And then Visca was only on the field for three wide receiver sets here. Probably a pretty decent cut candidate going forward. Someone may take a shot at him. I mean, second round pick. Um, Ritter in this game. Up and down a little bit here. 67.1 passing grade. He had a pick on the first play of the game under pressure. He had another pick later on, which was kind of a failed last-second heave attempt, which didn't really go anywhere. And he continued this really severe difference between his play from a clean pocket and under pressure. Now, the first thing, the, the former, the clean pocket play is more predictive, is more stable. But for me, I'm really interested in pressure play, even if it's not stable, because I think it shows if you can bring that extra element as a quarterback to an offense, and especially for a team like the Falcons. I mean, you're going to be under pressure if you're playing in the Falcons. So if you look at his play this week, clean pocket, his grade was 81. Under pressure, it was 49. There's always going to be a gap. There's always going to be lower pressure numbers than clean pocket numbers. But this is a this is a gulf. This is the Grand Canyon type of gap here between the two. And if you look on the preseason on a whole, 90 passing grade from a clean pocket, 28.2 under pressure. 28.2 is bottom three for 60 different quarterbacks who qualify for having enough dropbacks so far this preseason. Uh, under pressure this season, six of 18, three interceptions. One of them was called back and four turnover worthy plays. So we had another play, which was almost like a pick six type of play, which was dropped by the defense. So something to keep in mind. I know Ritter Hive out there is, uh, you know, is, is, uh, is, is quacking. I don't know. Do they quack? What are they doing? They're, uh, crowing. They're crowing a lot out there, Ritter Hive, about what's going on. I think he has looked really good, especially from a clean pocket when he can execute. He executes these concepts well, but when a little bit of pressure has been introduced here, things have gone off the rails a little bit there. So something to keep in mind, especially because the Falcons are going to struggle offensively. Don't have Their offensive line is okay, but not, not great there. And the second thing to think about is Marcus Mariota, like I mentioned before, very limited time, but the highest graded passer in the preseason, the most efficient passer in the preseason by advanced metrics. So he's been really good. So the chances of Ritter coming in are not just about Ritter being good. It's also about how well Mariota is playing. And Mariota might be the best guy when you're talking about Trubisky, um, and then other, you know, Tannehill, Mariota, other guys who are st- sitting in front of rookie quarterbacks. I mean, Mariota's pretty good. I mean, I think Tannehill's pretty good too, obviously. But Mariota's not as bad as some people think. It's just the Falcons are going to lose games. And when that happens, people want to turn over to Ritter, even if it's not because of Mariota's poor, poor play. Um, Let's, you know, Rams, Bengals, nobody's playing in these games for the Rams and the Bengals. We can skip that. Sorry if anyone's tuning in to hear about, uh, you know, Chris Evans in the Bengals backfield. But we're, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and, and make an executive decision and skip that one. 
Um, the Commanders against the Baltimore Ravens, right in my neck of the woods. A local uh, rivalry here. Not really. Um, lots of guys resting on both sides. Let's talk Sam Howell. I think Ritter has been really, really good. Howell, probably better, I would say. I think he's been better. And the reason I say that is that the dude is under a lot of pressure. And as I mentioned how Ritter's been really good executing when he's not under pressure, you've got to be able to execute under pressure in the NFL. This is not an, this is not, you know, playing against a a top 20 college team playing against a top 100 team. And then you you can just sit back in the pocket. Sometimes you've got to be able to make quick decisions and play well. And Hal was under siege and he kind of had a team that fell apart and his numbers fell apart in his final season in college, but he was getting pressured on, well more than half of his dropbacks in this game on 26 of 49 dropbacks and 18 of those 26 pressures were in 2.5 seconds or less. So those are quick pressures, what I call the quick pressures. He was getting lots of fast pressure and he was still doing really well to get the ball out. I don't want to get all QB uh, mechanics here, but he's not a tall dude, right? He's 6'1", 6'2". That's why people compare him to Baker Mayfield. Much more athletic than someone like Baker Mayfield. Really tough to take down. There were multiple times where guys had him wrapped up that he was able to to escape out of there. I mean, sometimes that gets him in trouble, but he was able to do that. But he has a very high release point on a lot of these throws. And it's funny, he doesn't take that deep of a drop. You normally think of these shorter quarterbacks taking really deep drops. He was actually getting critiqued by the offensive coach afterwards, not taking deep enough drop, not taking a full five-step drop on some of these five-step drop concepts because he has this high release point he's actually able to get the ball down quickly in the middle of the field where you would assume a quarterback who's a little bit more on the diminutive side I mean not that much more but a little bit more wouldn't be quite as good at that and and he was he he, he was great in this game at least I thought he was great 26 of 38 including four drops in there so he would have been 30 of 38 288 yards uh 7.6 per some of those drops are pretty big ones too one of them would have been about a 30-yard touchdown down the sideline to Diami Brown. One touchdown, two big-time throws. One turnover-worthy play. It was kind of an ugly one. A dropped uh, INT. And, you know, he took sacks. This was one of his Achilles heels. I don't know how many Achilles heels you can have, but uh, one of his Achilles heels during college and that last season in particular, he and Malik Willis were someone who took too many sacks. He did take five sacks in this game and scrambled six times. So he was on the move a lot, but yeah, some of that I'll give him some, some of a pass for because of how much pressure he was seeing here. And he was really effective scrambling the ball. He had 50-plus yards scrambling and three first downs when he did so. Um, I think this is my take here. Hot take here is that I would say Sam Howell plays this year before Desmond Ritter. What do you think about that for, for, for a hot take? And... You have two avenues to playing here, I think, for both guys, is you have quarterback uh, injury-prone quarterbacks in both situations. But I think for Hal, I think he's almost even looked better. And in some ways, maybe they'll be more incentivized where Rivera, I don't think he should necessarily be on the hot seat, but he's got to be a top two or three guy here on the hot seat because you just don't stick around for four seasons I was going to say without making the playoffs, technically they didn't make the playoffs in his first season, but you're just trending in the wrong direction for what's going on here. And I have a lot of respect for Ron Rivera, but he might feel like he needs to make a 
Hail Mary type of play. And, you know, Howell, he was an underclassman. He was a top five pick type of guy after his sophomore season who just fell off a cliff and went all the way down to the fifth round. I don't know. He's impressing me. He's impressing me a lot. But he's more of a gunslinger type, so there are going to be some ups and downs to his game. Uh, I mentioned Diami Brown, who's kind of fallen off the face of the earth because he didn't go as high as some people hoped in the draft in 2021. Didn't play that much. He was targeted five times in 10 routes here, a couple of drops. And he's actually been targeted 15 times on 41 routes this preseason. Maybe he can start to get in there a bit. I'm not sure how Curtis Samuel is going to work out. It sounds like Jahan Dotson is locked into an ever every down wide receiver role there. So maybe Brown someone to, to keep a, to keep an eye on it a little bit there. Um, what was interesting about the week from the Ravens standpoint is third string quarterback UDFA Anthony Brown had the best passing grade of the week, believe it or not, at 90.3, though dudes were just running wide open. Demarcus Robinson was just running wide open all over the place. Four catches for 135 yards for Robinson. And I don't think this affects you know, Lamar Jackson negotiations or anything or any sort of discourse or narrative over it. But, you know, it's not great for Lamar that guys like Tyler Huntley and Anthony Brown step in and perform really well in this system, right? It's not great for the replaceability argument when it comes to Jackson. Again, I don't buy it, but it's something, something to keep an eye on there. All right, let's go to Eagles at Miami Dolphins. Not a lot of talk about with the Eagles didn't play their starters. When it came to the Dolphins, Tua did play. First play of the game, 51-yard pass to Tyreek Hill. I saw some people critiquing the pass, saying, you know, Hill had to come back for it. It wasn't good. I mean, it was good enough. It was good enough. It got there. It got there. And, yeah, he didn't get the yak afterwards. I get it. But sometimes for these long passes where the guys are wide open, it's better to be a little short on it. And if they don't get the yak, they don't get the yak than it is to overthrow them on these types of plays. But what, but this was a big pass for Tua, 48 air yards here, which is the longest of Tua's career. He's never had a pass that's traveled more than 48 yards down the field anytime during his career. So he already has it with Tyreek Hill. That just shows you how much depth of target, while it's affected by the quarterback and his ability and willingness to throw it down the field, is very much tied to the wide receiver. We saw that with Alex Smith. Again, I'm just going to harp on this Alex Smith 2017 when we're talking about Tua and this season for what he can do. We saw Smith's game transform with Tyreek Hill and his down-the-field passing transform because if someone can get open, really open down the field, and you can have a good pocket, a lot of guys in the NFL can get the ball down the field, Tua being one of them. But Tua just looked great. Generally, I mean, he was six of seven, 121 yards, 17.3 yards per attempt, 91 grade, which was the second best of the week behind, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Anthony Brown, the third stringer for the Ravens. And, you know, he went to Hill again, like after the 51 yard pass, he went right back to him for 13 yards after that and then scored a touchdown uh, after that. Looked really, really good. Uh, Chase Edmonds had the day off. I thought Raheem Mostert looked pretty good. And I think if they can use Mostert in this role where he doesn't have to carry the ball too much, he just really brings that crazy speed element there um, that they could really use him a lot. Miles Gaskins also looked pretty good, but I think Mostert and Edmonds are really going to be the guys there. Oh boy. Let's talk about Skylar Thompson. I got to talk about my boy and my boy seventh round pick. 
didn't grade that well. I don't know. I'm going to have to storm into the PFF grading system and change all the grades for Skylar Thompson because I'm in love when I'm watching this guy play. 7 of 11, 103 yards, 9.4 per attempt, and a touchdown. Seventh-round pick, though, behind Teddy Bridgewater as the backup. Bridgewater has $6.5 million in guaranteed money this year. So what are the Dolphins going to do? I mentioned this before. The question was put to Mike McDaniel on what they're going to do. He called Thompson's play, quote-unquote, really exciting, whatever that means. And then he said he's done – quite literally everything you can to be a part of this team, but stop short of saying that Thompson would avoid the waiver wire this week when they make their cuts down to 53. He probably doesn't want to carry three quarterbacks, but if you don't put him on that practice squad, someone else is going to scoop him up. I have a feeling here. Uh, McDaniel saying it's a tricky situation. He's got to figure out what to do. I mean, it would be malpractice not to keep him around when you, because you want to keep around Teddy Bridgewater. And you don't want to you know, use up that roster spot. I mean, I think if anything, you probably have an asset that's worth something. I mean, I don't know how much a Skylar Thompson is worth as a seventh round pick coming out. But I mean, dude was balling during the preseason. Let me uh, bring up his total numbers for the preseason here since something I like to do. So over the course of these three games, Thompson was 36 of 49 for 450 yards. I'm including some no plays in here. So plays that got called back by penalty because I like to have more robust data. So this is in here. Five touchdowns. Did have two turnover worthy plays, even though he had zero interceptions. Um, Three sacks. Not great, but whatever. No big deal. And again, he scrambled pretty effectively in some games. His average depth of target, 9.5 yards per attempt, 9.2 uh, just, just strong numbers here. And average time to throw eight point, I'm sorry, 2.86. So pretty fast. Like he was getting the ball out pretty quickly here. And if you want to look at, I have all of the rookies uh, laid out by visual representation. Sorry for anyone. Sorry for podcast listeners here. You're not going to, you're not going to, you're not going to love this one because uh, you're not going to be able to see it. But I have laid out all the different rookies and how they did by, PFF grading and how they did by adjusted net yards per attempt, adjusted net yards per attempt being yards per attempt with bonuses for touchdowns, uh, discounts for interceptions, and then subtracting out sack yards, adding in scrambling yards. So Thompson wasn't the highest graded. He's actually Brock Purdy, believe it or not, as a rookie for the 49ers was the highest graded Pickett second, but he was by far the most efficient with about 10 adjusted net yards per attempt, which would lead the league if it was for an entire season. And a couple of yards above someone like Kenny Pickett, way above Ritter and Howell and Willis and all the other guys here. Matt Corral is in uh, is in garbage land over there at the very bottom. Poor guy. Um, so, you know, dude, dude played. Dude played well enough, I think, to make the team. We'll see what happens. So how Mac, Mike McDaniel and um, Chris Greer and everyone over there decides to to work it with this team. But at the very least, I think he deserves a roster spot to see what you can do. And, you know, I might even put him in at some point if Tua goes down just to see what you got here before before going forward. I just really think I'm really just high on, on what he's doing this year. But I will say from 
a quarterback evaluation standpoint, you just never know what you're going to get. I actually had some pretty similar evaluations to Matt Waldman, if anyone follows Matt Waldman on Twitter. And some people are saying, oh, Waldman really hit on Skylar Thompson because he liked him. Well, Waldman, like me, also liked Matt Corral, and Matt Corral shit the bed during uh, preseason. So, you know, never get too high, never get too low on these evaluations for what ends up happening. All right, so we got through everything with Philly, Miami. Let's go to Bears and Browns. Justin Fields, the story of the game. 90.7 grades, second best grade, oh, sorry, third best grade of the week behind Tua. He was 14 of 16, 156 yards and three touchdowns. Zero sacks. Huge game for Fields. Now, I think this what this showed more than anything is what Fields can do if you keep him clean. Can this line, though, keep him clean consistently? I don't know. It's going to be a bottom 10 for sure, maybe even bottom five by some, by a lot of people's approximation offensive line this season. I don't know what the Browns were doing on defense because they were not getting any pressure. They only got four pressures on 17 dropbacks for Fields which, you know, it's almost 25%, so it's not negligible, but he just really was not feeling that much pressure. And David Montgomery also looked pretty good. As much as everyone likes to hate on David Montgomery, he was in there. He played almost every single snap. He only took a couple snaps off when he just busted a 25-yard run and needed a little bit of a breather. 10, 10 carries, 52 yards, 75 grade there. So if they can get that running game working, they can keep fields clean and I think they're doing a better job of that by moving around a lot you know even as someone who who liked to roast the fields apologists last year for everything that they were doing for him I, I'm hoping the guy succeeds and um, I'm betting I'm on fantasy that's for sure so I'm hoping he succeeds this year uh, Dante Pettis is one guy I just want to point out he's still not playing a lot he only ran six routes but he did get three targets including a touchdown where he he toasted Greedy Williams who's kind of looking like a bust now and he is a former second round pick. People used to be pretty excited about him for the 49ers, but you know how Shanahan has his, his uh, doghouse can get very populated at some times. And Pettis was making frequent appearances there. And then he was let go. He's someone I might look at just because you know, like, who do they have here other than Darnell Mooney, right? They have Equinemius St. Brown and some others, but not a lot going on there. And the preseason, what it also did for the Browns, I think, is highlight kind of the lack of wide receiver depth. Anthony Schwartz doesn't seem like he can catch the ball. And outside of David Bell can't play, the third-round rookie. So if you're really relying on a third-round rookie, that's that's scary. If he can't step up into the wide receiver three role, you're still talking about your wide receiver two being Donovan Peoples-Jones. So if Amari Cooper gets injured, not not great. Not great for, for the Browns. One reason to be a little bit concerned here. I thought that Brissett would be able to get through and they'd be able to run the ball well, but we'll, we'll have to end up seeing what happens during the regular season there. Okay. Cardinals and Titans. I mean, Kyler's never playing in these games. Tannehill's never playing in these games. Malik Willis did play and he was, he was better. I wouldn't say he was really good. I know people shared his 50 yard run that he had his 50 yard scramble. Then again, if you pause that 50 yard scramble right before he took off, he's sitting in a, you know, pristine pocket and he just decides to take off, which is fine. I mean, sometimes it's okay if you see a lane, but it's not exactly something that the Titans love seeing from him, how often he's scrambling there. Uh, He completed a lot more passes this week. He was, you know, under 50% before he was 15 of 23 this time, 
but he still was either sacked or scrambled on 10 of 33 dropbacks. So he is, he's not passing the ball on well over a third because it was worse in the past and in the past games, well over a third of the times he's dropping back to pass the ball. He's not passing the ball. And um, what else happened here? Traylon Burks finally showed up a little bit. He was eight routes. He got four targets, three catches for 33 yards and a touchdown. Finally, Willis was doing something, so it's not a surprise that Burks was finally doing something. Again, I'm just saying many times before that we shouldn't be too hard on Burks because Willis is just not able to get the ball to his wide receivers, and neither has Logan Woodside. So it's good to see a little something from Burks here, although I'd like to see him a little bit further up the depth chart. Um, Andy Isabella was interesting. Andy Isabella sighting for the Cardinals. He had eight targets, five catches, and 115 yards, and Isabella is running out the clock on his uh his rookie contract here what's funny about Isabella is I guess he just can't catch the ball or he can't run routes or I don't know what his problem is because when he has the ball in his hands dude is fast I mean he ran an insane you know four three something 40 but he looks explosive out there too and he's been able to get open down the field sometimes for Kyler Murray I don't know he just he just can't get on the field obviously they have Marquise Brown coming in so that he's going to be their down the field guy Maybe Isabella can catch on somewhere else. I just thought it was at least notable that when he's played, he's actually been okay in some production-wise. He can just never, ever get onto the field. Okay. Bucks, Colts. Brady versus Ryan here. Brady only played one series, but... Okay, if you guys watch this game with Tom Brady, I'm going to be a little sensitive here because I don't want to accuse him of anything, but the ball was exploding out of his hand. Okay, he had one pass from the opposite hash down to Julio Jones in the middle of coverage where I don't think I've ever seen him throw the ball harder before in my life. Like the thing did not get more than eight feet off of the ground the entire time, the entire way. So now I'm starting to realize I thought maybe this time off, this vacation that Brady was taking was, you know, to help things out on the home front. Giselle might have been uh, cracking the whip, as they say. But now I'm starting to think that maybe he and, uh, you know, his bud, Alex Guerrero, went to one of their secret TB12 labs and got uh, <laughs> about a new supplement cycle here. They were uh, injecting avocado, straight avocado uh, DNA into his system or something here because let me tell you that he looked good i mean i don't know how you can throw the ball like that better than he ever has at 45 years old again you know more power to him whatever they're doing there because i'd rather see tom brady throwing the ball throwing darts 30 yards down the field than see tom brady you know on a cane out there uh getting pile driven into the ground in his final season so I'm not saying he's doing anything for sure, but, you know, I, I, I just want to know what he is doing. I just want to know what he is doing and, and get some for, for myself. Uh, Fournette played 11 of 11 first team snaps, so he was locked into the starting role there. Matt Ryan, by comparison to Brady, Matt Ryan, who is what, like seven years younger than Tom Brady, eight years younger than Tom Brady? Eh, wasn't looking so hot. Hasn't looked so hot during the preseason. I don't think they're asking him to do a ton, but still. First two drives, they weren't able to do anything. He played a lot longer than Brady. Then they got into the end zone on the third drive with the help of a long screen pass there. 
I love, you know, I love Michael Pittman this year, but I'm starting to get a little worried with Matt Ryan. Um, only nine dropbacks in this game. So we don't want to call him washed, but I think we have to put Matt Ryan on washed watch at least, you know, potentially washed. The pre-wash cycle is going on Matt Ryan right now. Um, only nine dropbacks to judge off of, but 2.4 average depth of target in this game. 2.4 yards. Yeah, not great. Not great at all. Uh, Vikings and Broncos, KJ Hamler, the likely third wide receiver plays 25 snaps, 15 routes, five targets, three catches, only 15 yards, but it was just good to see him out there. Good to see him out there doing his thing. Going to have some opportunity. Um, Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon did not play, but I thought Mike Boone looked pretty good. Boone was one of these guys we were, we were hoping getting a little excited about, when it was just going to be Gordon and Boone before they drafted Javante Williams last year, six carries, 50 yards, three broken tackles. He's got some juice. He's a guy that someone might actually legitimately want to trade for versus the uh, Alexander Madison's of the world uh, talking about the Minnesota Vikings who people are talking about trading for like who, who really wants Madison in his final year. But I do think this gives you some indication that the Madison stuff being floated out there is that, the Vikings are feeling good about uh, Ty Chandler, who they took in the fifth year, fifth round this year, and then Kenny Wongo, who they took in the fourth round last year. Mass is on the final year of his deal. That's starting to be floated out there. Very much one of those sort of deals of like, oh, we're getting calls. We're getting calls on this player, which is translation for we're about to cut this guy. So if you want to float us a uh, conditional six-round pick, we'll do it. To get, to get your priority on this player. Uh, let's get into Sunday here. Finally, the last couple of games. Giants, Jets. Last second victory for the Jets. The Jets, maybe their most emotional win of the season came in the preseason here. Just kidding, Jets fans. Well, maybe not just kidding, but uh, hopefully just kidding for you. Um, okay, what's going on here? Because anyone but Zach Wilson plays well for the Jets. That's what we've learned this preseason. Actually, Flacco, Flacco, he, he, he kind of sucked this game. But Mike White... And Chris Strebler combined for 266 yards, 13 yards per attempt, four touchdowns. They also both graded in their 70s. They both played well this year. So continue bad luck for Zach Wilson in a little bit for the fact that everyone else who plays in a Jets uniform for um, for for that offense seems to play pretty well. And in meaningless trade rumor news, along with Alexander Madison, you can throw Darius Slayton in there as being another guy who's supposedly on the market, which is better known as uh, Darius Slayton is about to get cut. Uh, I kind of like Slayton a little bit uh, a few years ago as a former late round pick, but I guess they they do have some guys there since they drafted Wandale Robinson and Colin Johnson's playing okay, although he got injured. Okay, last game. Detroit Lions, Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm sure we'll get this in much more detail on Hard Knocks with uh, Dan Campbell. And uh, fortunately, they lose, so we're not going to get a great Dan Campbell uh, victory speech here. But what can we say? Okay, so Trubisky started the game, played basically the first half, and then Pickett basically played the second half minus a meaningless drive at the end for Mason Rudolph. I I have my rant about... Trubisky and why he should start last week. Nothing has changed. 
I know that they scored some points. They scored 16 points in the first half. And it's it's just shocking to me. I don't think this was actually going to be like the point of flipping it towards Trubisky being the starter. But the fact that they let him out this last drive, 92-yard drive, starting with a minute 34 left, they marched down the field in six plays and scored a touchdown. And everyone's like, oh, Trubisky locked up the starting job there. Like, I don't get Like, why do we care about one drive? It's Mitch Trubisky, people. Um, and I'm not even high on Pickett. I think I might have Pickett below almost all these other rookie quarterbacks because I just don't see the upside there. But, hey, he was his normal, non-flashy, but effective self in this game as he has been, 10 of 14, 90 yards. He had three drives, one field goal, one missed field goal in those drives. I mean, dude, do do a lot. Uh, finally had his first, what we've marked as a big time throw of the season on a back shoulder throw down to Miles Boykin, 20 yards down the field. But he finishes the preseason now, zero turnover worthy plays, only two sacks on 44 dropbacks, 7.5 yards per attempt. Plenty good enough with a good defense. And whatever, I was going to say with a good running game. They're not going to have a good running game, but with a good defense to be able to do something this year. And I know it's not thrilling. It's not going to you know, thrill you what Pickett's doing here. But the worries about a rookie would be the turnovers. The worries about the rookies would be dumb mistakes. The worries about the rookies would be getting sacked and fumbling the ball in critical situations. You know, Pickett may not have that upside. He may not have the top end play that you're hoping to get going forward, but he's not going to have the rookie mistake play. He's an older guy after going through his super senior season. Just let him play. It's Miss Trubisky. And I know there are complications with going putting the rookie in and then he fails and then you have to go back to the veteran. And then when you go back to the rookie, I don't care about complications. Let's go ahead and put him in there. Although I can see a slight bit of logic. I don't like to look at the schedule too much and figuring out when to play someone, when not to play someone. But if you want to say we're touchdown dogs against the Bengals week one on the road, let's throw Trubisky in there and then have Pickett come back later. I mean, I guess there's some logic to that at the same time. I'd rather just be getting him as many first team reps as you possibly can rather than giving Trubisky all those first team reps, having Trubisky go in there and get yanked at halftime um, and then have to throw pick it into the game in the second half and start him starting week two. Let's just let's just get the timeline up. Let's just speed everything up right here. Pick it showed you exactly what you wanted to see as far as having a floor and not having those mistakes in the preseason. Let's roll with the kid. Let's roll with the kid here. All right, everybody, I hope you enjoyed this wrap-up. You're going to get a lot more of this during the regular season as I go through all these different games, a little bit more numbers-heavy during the regular season. Go ahead, rate, review the pod, leave me any commentary you want, either on YouTube. I go and I read the uh, the comments on there. Sometimes I reply to the comments. And I also want to thank everyone for giving me some mailbag questions because I was going to do a mailbag last Wednesday. I think I'm going to push that forward and do it this week. Because the timing on these pods going Monday, Wednesday, not a lot is necessarily happening in that time period. But I can talk mailbag. I can talk a bunch of guys, uh, a little bit more fantasy football heavy on guys that I'm looking at and targeting this season at different positions. But to everyone out there, thank you so much for tuning in. And I'll be talking at everyone later this week. Thanks so much, guys.